0: So today's uh, subject is one of those big, huge ideas that we're going to try to tackle. And so before I even get into the content, I really just want to preface this message with a couple of things. I want to make sure we're in the right frame of mind and that we can understand what's being taught. So the first thing that I want us to keep in mind as we move forward is that Scripture is consistent. There's consistency in scripture. Now, what happens sometimes is we can read some very prevalent themes in scripture, and then a scripture will pop out and we'll think, well, that that's contradicting. That's clashing, right? What we have to to do, rather than saying, well, that's contradictory, we have to. To hash that out, we have to make sure that the puzzle pieces come together to show the consistency of scripture. So we're gonna do that with a couple of different topics today and just make sure we're truly putting all the puzzle pieces together, okay? The other thing, and I talked about this last week, but it is worth reiterating. I'm asking, uh, begging if I have to, that as we go through this, you guys are thinking on these things, you're meditating, you're studying, you are praying on these things because I'm just telling you right now, you will not get to know him like you need to unless you are doing that, okay? So just make sure, today's message, you're not going to leave and go, I totally understand everything that he just said. That makes perfect sense. I'm 100% with you there. That's not gonna happen. So I just wanna put this on your plate and just allow you to take it from there, okay? And seek him at your own pace. Now. That process can take time, I just want to encourage you, that can take time, so don't give up, don't get discouraged. Um, I've very much experienced that in any studies that I've done in the Bible, where you get to this topic and you're like, oh, I I can't understand this, I can't comprehend this. And as you pray about it, as you study more and more, as you put it into context, it becomes more and more clear. So um, that's the endeavor that we're about to jump into, so let's just make sure we're taking those steps, okay? Okay. So again, this is probably going to be the highest peak that we're gonna to try to climb in this series. And, and the reason is, the way I've set this up is I wanna tackle these big, huge things that we can't hardly comprehend. And then as the series goes along, hone in on the things that more relate to us so that we can see how this big, huge God can relate to us and how we can have this personal relationship. So that's what I'm trying to accomplish. So last week, we talked a lot about the greatness of God just how great he is and how um, that's impossible for us to comprehend. We, we just can't do it. And so rather than just accept that, what we try to do is we try to box him in. We, we try to box him in. I saw this book this week that said, your God is too small. And I think that's so true for how we see God, for how we relate to him, how we approach him. We box him in to only what we can understand and then we just figure that's who he is. And that's just not the case. He is far greater than anything you can comprehend, okay? He will break every mold that you tried to put on him, okay? So let's make sure we understand that he is far superior to our comprehension. So with that in mind, let's answer this question. What is God made of? What is he made of? Now, you and I, we're made of flesh and blood, We can see that, we can touch that, we can define that. But what about God? So let's first talk about what he's not, okay? God is not flesh and blood. Now, we do know that as John 1.14 says, the word became flesh, Jesus became flesh, and so in the incarnation, he was flesh and blood. But that was for a period of time on earth, and so therefore, when we look at eternity past, eternity future, um, God is not, flesh, and blood. He's also not just like pure energy. He's not like this vapor in the air that just exists everywhere. He's far superior to that. So this is how we must define God. John 4, 24 says, God is spirit. Now, what does that mean? What is spirit? Now, I think you and I probably have a general understanding of of what that word means, at least as it relates to us But really, that's far too restrictive for how it relates to God being spirit. So before we we break this down anymore, here's what we can say about the definition of spirit as it relates to God. It's unlike anything else in creation. It's far superior to all of our material existence. Before there was any creation, God existed as spirit. Spirit. So in the end, we have to say that this is the greatest, most excellent way to be, that this form of existence is greater than anything that we know, which seems right, doesn't it? That we would, we would serve a God that is beyond our comprehension. Doesn't that seem to make sense to you that the one who created us, we, we can't even comprehend his greatness, we can't compare him to anything, That makes sense. In fact, that's what the second commandment is all about. When we read Exodus 20, verse four, it says, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So the way this is written, it reminds us that God is different from anything that he's created. And so then to try to compare him to any of it is wrong. It boxes him in. It limits him when nothing can possibly do that. So here's a good example in the Bible. During this time in Exodus, Moses is retrieving the Ten Commandments. While that's happening, the Israelites are awaiting his return and they get impatient. So what they do is they make this wooden calf and they begin to worship it because they feel like that represents God. It represents his power, it represents his strength. And yet that comes desperately short of representing his knowledge, his wisdom, his justice, his righteousness, on and on and on and on. When we try to compare him to anything, we come desperately short short. Now, it's also worth pointing out the reason it gives for not comparing him, and that is because he is jealous. So let's talk about this for a second. He is not jealous in like the teenage boy and girl type of way, okay? He's jealous, rightly so, to protect his honor. So he wants you and I to see him for who he truly is and then to worship him for it. And so when we distort that by comparing him to anything, that violates his true desire or his true will. So rather than comparing him to anything, we must simply say God is spirit. Now, let's try to hone in on this a little bit more. And in order to do so, I wanna talk mainly about two of God's traits that I think best relate to him being spirit. so hopefully this will be more and more clear as we go. So the first trait is his invisibility. So let's define this so that we have an accurate depiction as we talk through this, okay? So God's invisibility means that God's total essence, all of his spiritual being, will never be able to be seen by us. Yet, God still does show himself to us through visible things. So let's try to hash this out the best way we can, which is scripture. So John 1.18 says, no one has ever seen God. 1 John 4.12 says, no one has ever seen God. 1 Timothy 1.17 says, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. 1 Timothy 6.15 says, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. Seems pretty clear, right? Even if we go back to our story in Exodus with Moses, when Moses is speaking to God, he actually asks, God, let me see your glory. So God says, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pass by you but you cannot see my face because no man can see God and live. So there's this sense in scripture where we can't fully see God and yet he does show himself to us through visible things. So here's a couple of pretty obvious examples as you read through scripture. So let's start at Genesis one. God creates heavens and the earth. He creates mankind and he creates man in his likeness. That means somehow you and I can look at each other and God is revealed in that. Here's another good one. Romans 1.20 says, "'For since the creation of the world, "'God's invisible qualities, "'His eternal power and divine nature "'have been clearly seen, "'being understood from what has been made "'so that people are without excuse.'" So again, through his creation, God is being revealed. So we can look at nature, we can look at the sun, the moon, and the stars, and God is being revealed in that. Now, you may even be a little out ahead of me here, but the best visible manifestation that we've seen of God was in the person of Jesus, right? Colossians 115 says, the sun is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3 says the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So this is what makes Jesus so special in the biblical narrative. This is why we glorify him, this is why we talk about him, why we praise him, because for over 30 years, the image of the invisible God walked around the streets of Israel He healed people, he changed people's lives, and he ultimately died a death that you and I deserved. Now, we could dive into the person of Jesus for the rest of this sermon, but that would take us a little off track, so we'll come back to that someday. But let's just agree that the time of Jesus on earth was the most spectacular, amazing, excellent time in the history of the world. That is why our timetable is split in two from it. That is why the entire Bible is centered around it, okay? Now, another place in the Bible where we begin to see how difficult it is to uh, talk about the invisibility of God is in the book of Revelation. So in the book of Revelation, it gives metaphors for what we might see in heaven one day. And yet, you read through that book and your head will be spinning, there are so many times you read through Revelation you're going, what am I reading right now? This makes no sense. John is trying to write what we might see in heaven someday and we can't even begin to comprehend that. That makes no sense to us. Now, Revelation 22:3 three says this. The throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. This is an extremely profound scripture, because when we realize that God is the perfection of everything that we long for, that he sums up everything that is beautiful, everything that is desirable, we realize that although we may never see his full essence, we will see him in his glory. We will see his face and that will be the ultimate crescendo, the ultimate climax in life that we get to see God and that we get to spend eternity with him. So his invisibility, continue to dive in, continue to study to understand that better. The second trait is his omnipresence. Now omnipresence simply means all places. He is everywhere. So God doesn't have size or spatial dimensions. God is present at every point of space with his whole being. Yet he does act in different ways in different places. So let's explain this a little bit, okay? So God created space. If he created space, that means he's Lord over space. That means he can't be contained within space. And not only can he not be contained within it, but he is in every part of it. So Jeremiah 23, 24 says this. Can a man hide himself in hiding places so that I do not see him? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? That's a rhetorical question because absolutely he fills the heavens and the earth. So there is nowhere that we can go to get away from God's presence. And it's not just like a part of Him, it's His whole being. This is described in the Bible when it says, In Him all things hold together. Now here's the trick we have to somehow guard ourselves against thinking that God just extends infinitely far that he's just like this bigger space that surrounds the rest of the universe or that he's just amazingly large because all of these ideas confine him to size and space. And before there was any creation, before there was space, before there was time, before there were dimensions, God existed as spirit. So to try to confine him within his own creation is certainly foolish of us. God, he relates to space in a much different way than we do. And so when we try to define him, it comes short because we're bound by the idea of space. Now here's the catch. When we talk about God's omnipresence, while he is in every part of space with his whole being, he does act in different ways in different places. So here's the best way to explain this, okay? What we see in the Bible is that God specially presents himself to either punish or to bless. So let's walk through a couple of examples so that you can see this in scripture. The first one, this won't even be up on the board because I want you guys to just visualize this with me. So Amos 9.1, it says, I saw the Lord standing by the altar. And this is what he said. Strike the tops of the pillars so that the thresholds shake. Bring them down on the heads of all the people. Those who are left, I will kill with the sword. Not one will get away, none will escape. Though they dig down to the depths below, from there my hand will take them. Though they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, there I will hunt them down and seize them. Though they hide from my eyes at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent to bite them. Though they are driven into exile by their enemies, there I will command the sword to slay them. I will keep my eye on them for harm and not for good. This is a frightening visualization of when God specially presents himself to punish. Now, very quickly on the flip side of that, (laughs) Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So this is God specially presenting himself to bless. He's filling us with joy in his presence. Now, the best example of this, as we read through the Old Testament, would be the Ark of the Covenant. So as the Israelites make their way through the wilderness and ultimately land in the promised land, they've got the Ark of the Covenant with them, which is where God's presence specially dwelt. And he would lead them, he would guide them, he would provide for them every step of the way. So especially presenting himself to bless in a pretty profound way there. Now, we have to make this clear as we talk through this. It would be horribly misleading to say that God is more present in these scenarios He's not more present, he's just specially presenting himself. So if God is in every part of space with his whole being, how could he be more in one place than the other? That doesn't make sense, right? What he's doing is he's specially revealing himself so that you and I can see him, that we can feel him, that we can experience what he is doing for us. So he's specially presenting himself. Now, fortunately, as the biblical story lays out, when we see God presenting himself in this special way, it is most often to bless so, so thank God we, we serve a good, loving God that is most often going to bless us in a special way. It speaks of God blessing us with freedom. speaks of him making his home with us. What a special presence of blessing that is. Now, for the record, it would be the opposite in Scripture when you read things like God is far or God is separated from the wicked. So this is just God not specially presenting himself to bless. So obviously he can't be far from anyone. He's everywhere all at once. Another thing to remember here is we have to read scripture through the lens of the writer. So a lot of times when it talks about this, the writer feels far from God. He feels separated from God, yet we know within the context of scripture that's not actually true, okay? Now all of this culminates to show us that God is in every part of space with his whole being, yet specially reveals himself to us to either punish or, more prevalently, to bless. Now, in my studies this past week, I saw this this quote um, or this story that I thought was interesting, and I won't read it word for word, but I'll kind of walk through this. What it says is, when you and I wish to do something evil, when we wish to do something wicked, our tendency is to go somewhere private, So we'll go to our homes. And even in our homes, we feel kind of vulnerable, so we'll go to our rooms. And even in our rooms, there are windows, so we go into the closet. Even in the closet, though, somebody could open the door and see us, and so we retire to our hearts. But even more inward than our hearts, God exists. And so it says, rather than fleeing from him, why don't we just flee to him? This is bringing this subject to the correct conclusion. And that is this great God, invisible, omnipresent, the the one that we will have to spend eternity trying to figure out, trying to study, trying to allow him to reveal himself to us. That God wants us to give our lives to him. Rather than being frustrated because we can't fully understand him, why don't we just trust him? Why don't we just obey him? Because we certainly know that he's in control. And if you're gonna give your life to someone, why why wouldn't it be the one who's too big for us to comprehend? Doesn't that make sense? It's kind of like making sure your personal trainer is in better shape than you, right? You wanna make sure that the person leading you knows what they're doing better than you do. And so if we're gonna give our lives to anyone, why not the God who is in control of everything, who holds the universe in his hand, who's everywhere all at once? Now here is the greatest thought of all, this great unexplainable God He wants to know us personally. He wants to know you personally. He wants to have an ongoing love affair with you. Just let that sink in for a second. The next time that you get frustrated because you can't understand God fully, just remind yourself, he loves me. I may not be able to fully understand him but he knows me better than anyone and he loves me. That should be the greatest comfort that we can possibly cling on to as we live our lives, as we try to grow closer to him to know that this big, huge God loves us. Now as we take these things and we try to study them, we pray on them, and we just continue to dig in, and I'm begging you guys to do that. Let's just make certain that these things are drawing us closer to God, that we're opening up to him, that we're allowing him to reveal himself to us more and more, that we would draw closer to him. Worship team can make their way up. If there's anybody in the room right now who... Maybe for the first time you've realized just how big God is. Maybe you've realized for the first time that he will never leave you, he'll never forsake you. I wanna encourage you to give your life to him. I wanna encourage you to trust him. I wanna encourage you to obey him. That will be you living your best life when you give it to him. If you could stand with me. If you could just close your eyes with me for a second. So many of these topics are just so hard to wrap our minds around, and yet let us pursue them even more that we realize that at the end of the finish line is God himself pulling us in, drawing us in, desiring a relationship with us. If you could just focus in on that for a second, just how badly he wants you to know him, just how badly he wants you to call out to him, to cry out to him, in your greatest time of need. How badly he wants you to just thank him and appreciate him when he blesses you. He just wants you to know him. Let's pray together. Lord, we know that you love us. We know that you're always there. We pray that As we would dig into these things and as we are trying to get to know you better, that you would just pull us in, that you would just draw us in, that you would open our hearts and minds to see things that we never have seen before, that we never thought possible to see and that in them you would be revealed more and more and more. Lord, we want to trust you more and in trusting you, we want to obey you more. Our relationship with you to be more and more real every single day. God, we love you. We're coming after you. We're pursuing you because we want to get to know you better.